Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, it's New Year's Eve. And I have a confession. I hate New Year's Eve. Ugh, it is the worst. I have horrible memories of New Year's Eve for most of my life. Of course, when I was little, it, you know, it didn't even enter my brain as a thing. But when my mom moved back in with us, New Year's Eve became something huge and important. And I had no idea. So the first New Year's Eve that my mom was living with us, she threw a gigantic party because she had this big house out in the suburbs where there was lots of room for cars to come and park and people to stay if they wanted to. So she threw this gigantic party. And my brother and I, of course, were like, whoa, excited. How, how cool is that? Um, there are going to be people in our house. There's going to be a party. How exciting. Woo. You know, and there were decorations and lots of wine and champagne being ordered in and confetti. And oh my goodness, what is this all about? This is exciting. And then as people started to arrive, people from New York City were coming out. My mom's friends, um, you know, the, who were these people? What What is going on? Where did these people come from? I've never met this person before in my life. I remember distinctly this one woman who really stood out in my memory because it was a costume party. My mom loved to have people show up in costume. And for a long time, this party was a costume party. And then years later, it you know, that, that tradition melted away as people didn't want to do that anymore. But I guess it was in the old tradition of, you know, you look at movies like An American in Paris and you realize, oh yeah, I guess people used to do that all the time, costume parties at New Year's Eve, so that there was some sense of, you know, mischief and uh, uh, things you shouldn't be doing somehow, and you could be in disguise, and yeah, there was a lot of that, but this woman came, and she was just in this sort of filmy, diaphanous blue dress, and it was obviously not a costume, but she had some kind of tiara on or whatever, and she walked, and she had enormous, she was really curvaceous, enormous breasts. And my brother and I had, I think, never seen anything quite like it before. Like her before, she was made a huge statement. And she burst into the kitchen and uh, struck a pose. And she said, don't mess with me. I'm the Eiffel Tower. And I'll just never forget that somehow. Um, so that first party and then the first number of parties when we were young were shocking to us in this core way. 
you know, the, the house was full of adults that were drunk and behaving crazily. And at first we watched from underneath the piano in like horror and thrill. You know, what is going on? There were adults having sex in our bedrooms, which was crazy. We would like, whoa, open the door and what's going on? What's happening? So we really started getting into the spirit of it. We were just screaming with laughter and giggles. We just, uh, you know, what what is happening? And I think Laura and Phil were not there. They were left home with a babysitter somehow. So, but my aunt and uncle were there and my, uh, you know, my uncle was um, pursuing this one woman and backed her up against a wall and started, you know, saying sexy things to her and making out with her. And meanwhile, my poor aunt was being pursued by some lascivious dude who was a former crush from high school. And he kept saying things like, you know, we can make this work. Well, let's get back together. And we were like, wait, what's happening? You know, the whole order of things was being thrown upside down and topsy-turvy and uh, it was just like we were watching all the adults become the worst version of themselves they could possibly be and then unfortunately we were you know nobody was paying attention to us so we could go around the room tasting drinks which was really a terrible idea because whatever drink people left behind on uh, some kind of countertop or, or end table was not something that they wanted anymore. And my brother had the unfortunate experience of swallowing a cigarette butt and then immediately vomiting. It was awful, just disgusting. So this, the problem is that this is what I came to see New Year's Eve as in a pattern you know, like of people just being their worst self all together as a collective on this night of the year. Like completely crazy on booze and drugs and sex. Like you want to spend the last day of the year in some bacchanalian orgy that you will regret for the first month of the whole new year. And why, you know, it just... It frustrated me no end. Ugh. And so there was the time. I mean, like, everybody had their night to be really awful. There was the time when my friend Michael did so much cocaine that he thought he was going to die. There were the time where my kids, when they were young teenagers, I, I found them outside smoking cigars with one of the dads who had helped to raise them and I was shocked and furious because I was like what are you doing they shouldn't be smoking you know I oh I was just so angry that he should have valued their lives and their health better than that and why do we have to all be so terrible on this one night and every single New Year's Eve was Unfortunately, the demonstration of my mom being the most drunk that I ever, ever saw her because somehow on this night it was sanctioned and allowed and expected. And I despaired of this night every time it was coming up. I just knew what it was going to be. 
So those first few parties, well, I say first few because this became a yearly event and really up until very, very recently, I think two years ago was our last one, you know, and only pandemic shut it down. I mean, you know, it took a dramatic world disaster to shut this freaking party down. In any case, um, those first few years were at our house and, um, you know, the the whole house turned into this horrifying mess afterwards, obviously. Um, the next morning we would wake up and there were just bodies strewn all over our living room of drunken people who just slept where they fell. And it looked like something from Dante's Inferno. It was completely insane. And in those early years, my mom's idea of like, we're going to get everybody up and out was to declare that the tradition for the first day of the year was to have a basketball game. We had a basketball hoop out in our driveway and our driveway was a huge, big square of asphalt. So, um, you know, we were like, yeah, everybody's going to pick teams and have a basketball game. All these poor, horribly hungover people who were, you know, subsiding on whatever toast and stuff that we had the next morning or leftovers from the food that had been picked through and, you know, ashes sprinkled in there from cigarettes. Um, so they had a disgusting leftover breakfast and then out we went to play basketball. And this woman, I remember this one year, this woman, Sheila, <laughs> who had come in as the Eiffel Tower, um, my brother was set to guard her and he was uh 10 he was 10 because i was 12 that first year and he <laughs> she at one point had been running around breasts flying you know and this 10 year old boy trying to get in front of her which was just a very bad idea um and at one point she stood still and uh picked up her skirt to you know air herself out because she was sweaty and she was like, whoo, and lifted her skirt up to her eyeballs and she had no underwear on. And my brother's jaw dropped to the floor and he just never, <laughs> he didn't recover for the rest of that game. I think he sidelined after that it was not going to work at all. But um, just like the basketball game <laughs> came to be a thing of the past, um, the party also moved on from our house to my mom's art studio. So in the early 80s, my mom bought another house in the neighborhood that was quite run down and she turned it into her art studio. And the party moved there because then there was the luxury of being able to leave the party mess behind and go home and sleep. And also not having people, you know, making out in your rooms and falling asleep on your bed. Um, so the party moved to the art studio and it became even bigger and more wild and it started to take on a life of its own, this party, where people expected it and expected it to be bigger and more exciting each year and expected the entertainment to be more wild and more um, unique and, and, you know, 
intriguing because my mom had uh, impersonators at one point. I remember her having Cher at her party and everybody had to take their pictures with Cher. And then there were various bands that played. So there was live music and that was fun. And that, that lent it a different air. And actually those were the only couple of parties that I did have a good time at was when my band played. Because then I was, you know, I had something to do. I had a, a role that was something I was comfortable in. When I was in college, I had a three-part a cappella trio called the Off-Key Three, and we performed one time, and that was just such fun. And my friend Patty filmed it, and we have that film somewhere still. And then later, uh, when I moved to Nyack, I had a band called Lady Disdain, and we did jazz standards and such, and we performed there one time, and that was so much fun. I had a great time those couple of times. Um, but other than that, then uh, the entertainment became streamlined into this one guy my mom hired over and over every year. Um, his name was the Golden Gup, and he was a DJ, and he played, he could play anything really, you know, he played a lot of great classic, you know, dance music and disco stuff that was appealing to my mom's generation and our generation as we became, you know, 30-somethings and 40-somethings. And this guy, I think, came to the party for, uh, I'm going to say, at least 15 years in a row. He was there. Um, people loved him and they expected him and, you know, enjoyed the dancing quite a lot. And, there, and the catering became more elaborate. There was this huge spread of food even though it was like, you know, people were arriving at the party at 10, 10, 30, 11, after they long had dinner and they didn't want to have a whole lot of food, but my mom, you know, thought this was expected and she should have all of this stuff for her guests. And the expense was enormous. It was crazy. And still my mom wouldn't give it up. Um, she just couldn't, you know, she felt somehow this responsibility or she wanted you know, to be at this party every year because it was a gathering of her friends. I get that. You know, it was a gathering of her friends. Um, but little by little, that gathering of friends became strange. Well, people from the neighborhood came all the time. Um, and they would come like right before midnight so that they could dance for an hour, make out with somebody and leave. Um, because they had gone to dinner parties or whatever else first before that. And in fact, when I was early married, um, my husband and I would go to these other friends, uh, Nina and Dale, for a fantastic lobster dinner with our best, best friends um, at, around a small table. We would go and do that first, and then we would do the same thing. We would come to my mom's party for just an hour or whatever, dance, and then go home. Um, dance it off, you know, dance off that rich lobster food. <laughs> so that was good. Those, those few years were um, nice ones because there was something else to do. But there was always the onerous task of setting up this party. Year after year, we had to go and decorate and move all the furniture that used to be in, and in, the, in the art space. Um, my mom's studio was such that there was one double-story uh, room that was her art space and it had lots of uh, 
um, skylights on the roof and, and a huge amount of space and two doors where people could go in and out into the kitchen area and the caterers could go in and out and there were a couple of bathrooms so it worked it worked well for a party but we had to move all of her art stuff out so that it would be safe and when I came to share this communal uh, art space with her later as I was creating costumes for my theater company in the same space I would get really worried and nervous that people were going to go into that area and like you know spill drinks on beautiful props and costumes so there was always the concern of like ugh, covering things up and hiding things away so that my creative space was disrupted and messed up and full of stuff and it, it just rankled me no end but this way you know she could have the party here and then she could walk away or crawl away one time that was just the most abysmal time she actually crawled home because she was so drunk and she could not stand and uh, she laughed about that later but ugh. so I dreaded this night and I have always dreaded this night and I you know if there's one thing to be grateful for with this pandemic is that <laughs> this is not allowed and we can't do it and also my mom doesn't have this art studio anymore so there's no room for this party and after I got divorced you know a little spoiler I'm gonna talk about that later but after I got divorced I experienced some of the worst you know of those parties <laughs> as if there wasn't already the worst but you know the idea the whole thing of midnight and who are you gonna kiss on midnight and watching all these other people make out at midnight with probably people that they didn't come with and oh, I don't know a lot of that was that um, and desperately looking for someone to kiss at midnight I remember this one time that I was being actually you know lasciviously pursued by this husband and wife team that it was just ah so upsetting and disgusting and I was like oh my god get away from me they were way way older than me and they were seeking me out all over the party and I finally had to run away um, then there was the, the time that you know I was looking around at midnight and the only guy the only person standing there without someone to hug was like this you know strange little dude that I had known for a while through music circles and you know I like okay whatever I'm you know but ugh, it, ugh, I don't know just I, I can't tell you how much the whole evening just brings up the bile in my throat Ugh. I don't know I can't stand it so you know and then I'd also later as my mom got older I don't know there was the strangest collection of people that came to this party I remember this one woman that showed up a few years in a row who had a long gray Fu Manchu beard and I was like what where did this woman come from who is this and then there was my mom's friend Kim who was very funny and but she was she's a she is a giantess and so you know here she was in the middle of this party you know very much standing out and this one guy I remember one time was just smitten with her and so excited that she was there 
and really courting her as his New Year's Eve conquest. And I was like, Kim, what do you make of this? And she was like, hey, you know, every man wants to conquer the mountain. <laughs> so there were funny snippets, you know, now and again. I don't deny that. And, um, you know, the first drink or two, having a great old time, dancing with some friends. But it just never failed to devolve into distasteful debauchery. So that's why I hate New Year's Eve. And this New Year's Eve, I am going to go and see the film Macbeth with Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington. And I can't imagine a better way to spend New Year's Eve. Oh, I'm so excited. So this will be a good one. I wish you all Happy New Year. I wish you all somebody beautiful to kiss. And if you don't have that, be happy. Be happy. It's fine. Enjoy. Look forward. 2022, you better be better than this. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Whoa. It's a long episode. I had a lot of things to say about New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. And I'll see you tomorrow. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.